This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of New Books in Systems and Cybernetics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Tom Schult, and I co-host the channel with Kevin Lindsay. For many, the words Gaia hypothesis remain mired in conceptions of a particularly fluffy brand of New Age mysticism, relying on overstretched metaphors, rather than conjuring up the rigorous, transdisciplinary, paradigm-shifting research program that it has always been. Thankfully, Bruce Clark has stepped to the forefront of the growing number of contemporary scholars treating the hypothesis with the seriousness it deserves with his deeply researched and effortlessly eloquent book, Gaian Systems, Lynn Margulies, Neo-Cybernetics, and the End of the Anthropocene, out from University of Minnesota Press in 2020. With his characteristic insight, accessibility, and sparkling turns of phrase, Clark not only lays out the fundamentals of the staggering Gaian conception of an emergent planetary-level homeostat born of complex networked couplings amongst the Earth's lithosphere, biosphere, technosphere, and atmosphere, but also guides us through the cultural formation of the theory through such diverse avenues as NASA, Stuart Brand's Whole Earth Catalog, and William Irwin Thompson's Lindisfarne Association. Mobilizing his finely honed skills in literary analysis, Clark's book illuminates the elegant contours of the theory through an exploration of Gaia discourse itself, as it evolved through academic and popular publications, as well as personal correspondence between its key players. Gaian Systems is a pioneering exploration of the dynamic and complex evolution of Gaia's many variants, with special attention to Lynn Margulis' foundational role in these developments. Delving into many issues not previously treated in accounts of Gaia, Bruce Clark describes the history of a theory that has the potential to help us survive an environmental crisis of our own making. So without any further ado, let's turn to my interview with Bruce Clark. Bruce Clark, welcome back to New Books in Systems and Cybernetics. It's so great to have you here once again. Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, nice to have an invitation back uh, now that I've got another book out. Yes, and another magnificent book. I have to say, I I, uh, I loved it uh, every 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 bit as much of uh, as as the last one, and it, and in some ways, I, I find it even more of a kind of a, a stunning achievement. Um, so 
for those listeners who don't know your background, I'm going to skip the uh, traditional first question because you have been with us before. And so I direct our listeners to our previous episode on neo-cybernetics and narrative, where they'll get the um, answer to that traditional question, get a bit of your background. And we'll jump right into this meaty text because, of course, we won't have enough time to go into it uh, to the degree it fully deserves. But we want to use as much of this time as possible to uh, to, uh, squeeze as much of the guy and juices out of this as we can. So, um, tell us where the genesis of this book came from. You said a little bit at the end of your neo-cybernetics and narrative interview, because I knew the project had already begun by then, but tell us a little bit about the genesis of this book. That's right. It is interesting that at the end of my last book, I have a a guy in chapter uh, that just kind of... uh, arises from the consideration of the systems theory that's going on. Uh, but yes, I, I'd already been studying Gaia. I tell the story in my introduction of how I happened to uh, meet Lynn Margulis, who's fully one half of the Gaia hypothesis along with James Locke, who's the originator of the concept. But uh, I uh, I met Lynn. She quashed my Gaia skepticism <laughs> fairly quickly, and I began. But then, as I studied it, and uh, I, I, you know, one of the key things for me was that Lynn was already using the vocabulary of autopoiesis mm. to talk about Gaia, as well as talking about living systems in the, in the fairly standard, uh, you know, original meaning of. Uh, Matron and Varela of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of autopoiesis as the sort of, you know, the, the formal definition of a living system. So Margulis was already speaking this vocabulary and, and, uh, and I gradually unfolded how that uh, came about because, uh, and I, I tell that story in the chapter called the Lindisfarne Connection. So this is a meeting, a private intellectual meeting where she, she meets Maturan and Varela. She uh, she meets Heinz von Furster, all our sort of classic second order cyberneticists. And and of interest to me, it always been that Gaia was expressed as a cybernetic theory. Um, uh, Lovelock, uh, this Lovelock's mind was suffused with what we'd call first order cybernetics and control theory. And Gaia is a planetary control system for for maintaining habitability of the planet like that's one of the most succinct definitions uh, you could give to what the idea of guy is and i think one of the best mm-hmm. so it um i mean but but meeting margulis and being caught up in her incredible energy and and just inspiration really got me going but uh but the the overlap for instance, I'd been, I'd, I'd sort of come into autopoiesis as that had developed in Heinz von Furster's milieu, and then how that had been picked up by Luhmann and taken in this entirely metabiotic direction. But it was still systems theory, and it was still a form of autopoiesis that was being argued for. And mm-hmm. here's Margulis. Um, uh, kind of diverging from Lovelock, who who will mention autopoiesis every now and then in his published work, but he didn't really take it up. Uh, he was he was pretty happy with first order homeostasis or 
homeoresis of a, a system that kind of has a moving set point, but still is performing these classical self-regulatory functions. Um, so, uh, and so that's part of the story I tell in a book that I, uh, that I gradually realized needed to be focused on Margulis mm-hmm. as half of the Gaia story, but the half that usually wasn't told. Because yes. Margulis was in, always entirely deferential <laughs> to, <laughs> to Lovelock with regard to the scientific, you know, priority uh, mm-hmm. of his having, you know, come up with the idea and she was a helper, uh, uh, you know, mm. broadly speaking, uh, a collaborator and someone helping him to, to incubate his idea. But mm-hmm. then as time went on, she, she developed her own way of talking about it. Um, so, uh, that's, um, I mean, so the, just to, uh, put a point on the question you asked me, I, I got going because I had this systems theoretical framework into which I could put all of these different matters and still have a, have lines of connection that needed to be explored. Right. Thank you. And yeah, it's interesting that, you know, Lynn Margulis's name does, of course, feature in the subtitle of the book. So it definitely signals that um, perhaps there's a bit of a corrective going on and that her name deserves to be more front and center and not seen as some kind of Lovelock's assistant kind of thing, but rather yeah. such a critical um, person. And and literally in the two, the, the two people, you have um, Mar- um, Lovelock bringing the the sort of um, you know uh, geological uh, and atmospheric components, and 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 Margulis bringing the biological components, and so literally, literally without the two of them coming together, you you see the the coupling literally that goes on in Gaia goes on intellectually in a sense from them coming from these two directions. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. And, and Lovelock is generous in, in acknowledging that to be exactly the case, that he couldn't have really, he couldn't have fully unfolded this thing uh, yep. without the specialized knowledge that, that Lynn brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and early on, she writes a letter. Uh, I should mention real quickly the, the project I'm working on now as a kind mm. of follow-up and companion volume is, is a, a totally old-school scholarly volume on the scientific correspondence of James Lovelock and Lynn Margulis. Oh, fantastic. And uh, Cambridge has uh, given me a contract for that, along with my French collaborator, uh, Sebastian Dutroy, who's in in our mix, he he wrote a massive dissertation in French on Lovelock. So he's mm. the Lovelock man, and I'm the Margulis man. Nice. But together we put the two sides of the correspondence together. And so now, when it, by at the time this book was published, I hadn't quite made. I, I couldn't get the Lovelock estate to um <laughs> to answer my emails oh wow basically uh and so uh whereas i had the margulis estate's permission to quote from the unpublished letters so so whenever it's something from lovelock there's this this tiny little uh fair use snippet or or paraphrase but mm. uh but that problem uh was then uh 
solved in 2019 uh, with the help of Sebastian. Actually, uh, we got through to Lovelock, and and uh, and he's good, uh, and he's basically it's a really interesting. Uh, uh, publishing situation where basically the two estates lease us the letters for the sake of this publication while retaining copyright. But in hmm. any event, so that's why I've read all this uh, now. Uh, I was just thinking of this letter that uh, very early on, Margulis is, is um, I mean, her demeanor is kind of like, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, hitching, Pitching a ride with this guy who's, uh, you know, a specialist in this whole other field, but she writes G. Evelyn Hutchinson, who's a really important uh, uh, ecologist uh, of the mid 20th century, who's a mentor to Lynn. And he says, I, I, I just, I, I just give Lovelock the bugs he needs to make his theories work. You know? <laughs> Uh, I can tell him which methan- which methanogen would be operating here to, you know, to donate this uh, you know, metabolic uh, residue to the atmosphere and and so on. So, yeah. so she her her stance was was always to I mean so there you see the deference there. She says, oh well, I'm just I'm just helping him because when he needs. When he needs a microbe, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can figure out the one he wants. Right, uh, but uh, it really, uh, but but to your basic point, uh, that was the brilliance uh, uh, um, that Lovelock realized he needed to. Uh, uh, he needed the biological uh, mm-hmm. side of the. I mean, because after all, the theory was that life uh, 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 emerging from life as as a planetary phenomenon is this uh, is this regulatory function, yeah. which and that's what Gaia is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, regulating temperature, regulating salinity, regulating um, uh, regulating temperature by. Uh, uh, basically over the over geological time pulling down the levels of co2 right so i think we better confront this now because you had to have your gaian uh skepticism quashed uh so um let's uh give us a i know this is impossible give us a quick snapshot of gaia and what Gaia is not, because of course, in the popular imagination, right. where amongst right. uh, quarters where it's been debunked and thought of as this sort of, you know, laughable sort of hippie idea of a planet with an intention and a spiritual consciousness, etc., which maybe isn't so crazy at the end of the day either. But nonetheless, we're talking in purely scientific terms now. So, tell, just give us a quick overview, and then obviously we'll move through the book and how and how it developed uh, as as a as a concept. Yeah, well. I mean, so that's, I mean, just as a cultural topic, it's, you know, it's so fascinating because of all that uh, uh, kind of ferment of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, of, just, just interrupt for a second. I think it's important to point out to, to, to the readers and listeners, this book is about Gaia discourse as much as it is about Gaia. And that's, I think, one of the unique contributions here is it's not another book restating Gaia. But you literally take us through the fermentation of that idea and and 
you know, not to push the metaphor too far, but, you know, cyberticians love metaphors. Um, the sort of autocatalytic uh, set of Margulis and Lovelock and others through it, through which it, it, yeah. uh, it, it, it is created. Yeah. So right. go ahead. And, I just wanted to point out then, that, that then, the discourse I mean, is, is such a big part of it. Right. Well, I appreciate that because I'm a literate, you know, I'm, I'm not a trained scientist and, you know, it'd be, it'd be just entirely presumptuous of me to weigh in, uh, mm. you know, in any, uh, intensive way on, on, on the finer points of the specialized debates. Um, but suffice to say, stepping back and looking at what, what Gaia wrought was, was a literature. <laughs> mm. And so that's, and so let's call it Gaia discourse. And, and they may dis and often, uh, when it's Lovelock and Margulis, I mean, they really are concerned to establish the idea on a, on a scientific foundation. Yeah. But at the same time, Lovelock and the story's been told, uh, you know, countless times, uh, but he, that, that, uh, but the spin on the story I love, which I, I, I tell is that, that when Lovelock was walking around the neighborhood with his neighbor, William Golding, author of the Lord of the Flies, and he says, I'm working on this theory, but I need a good four-letter word for, a, you know, a cybernetic control system that homeostats the environment for the optimal habitability. And this is the, the very early formulation. And, and Golding says, well, I'd call it Gaia, uh, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and and thinking that Lovelock understood the classical provenance of the name when, in fact, this is a story Lovelock tells. He he didn't know what he thought. He said gyre, gyre mm -hmm. in some British accent, you know, G-Y-R-E, mm -hmm. gyre, gyre. And, and, and he was thinking to himself, well, that makes sense because a gyre is a feedback system. And that's mm -hmm. my idea of these planetary feedbacks. And and. And so he said they're walking on, talking at complete cross purposes. And then finally, Golding says, no, 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 no. What I'm talking about is the, the goddess of the earth in, you know, in classical Greek mythology. So, mm -hmm. and, but, but once love and love luck said, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and so, but I, I've always thought that story was important because at, at the, at the moment that he accepts this brand, right. He, mm -hmm. he has no mythological uh, motives at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it just had a good sound to him. But then gradually as, the, as everything that Gaia, as a name, as, a, as an idea coming out of Western, uh, you know, uh, ancient history, uh, 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 the sort of Western mythological sensibility uh he I, I think very cannily he held on to the name even though there was as as the sort of inside discussion develops within the sciences they say you know spare us because gaia is now we're getting all these woolly new age types who who want something from gaia that they think it provides which yeah. is which is a, a notion of of a of a sentient planet that that you know is you know purposeful uh in in some kind of 
spiritual way or you know and as at you know some kind of di- divinity is what mm-hmm. they want to bring back to the earth and of course that's utterly understandable in terms of the late 20th century dynamic of in a secular world that's going to hell uh i mean just as far as you know uh, environment and well the environment yeah. environmental you know alarms are already going off of course back in the day it was it, it was the nuclear threat you know mm. it was just um geopolitical uh, brinksmanship and then nuclear energy and nuclear power as environmentally challenging, if not, you know, uh, a, a mode of <laughs> snuffing life out in its own right, you know, just in, in one big. So, I mean, that the world Gaia enters into is, is, is the Cold War world of the, uh, of, and then, and so the American counterculture is reading cybernetics by this point uh, kind of against its own mainstream, uh, uh, you know, emergence as control theory for guided missiles? <laughs> yes. Uh, and 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 you know and and the 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 sort of progressive wave of cybernetic thinkers that uh, I mean Bucky Fuller. Uh, sort of quasi cybernetic, and uh, the original inspiration of the whole Earth catalog, and then Bateson's Steps to an Ecology of Mind comes out right as Stuart Brand is is converting the the catalog into the Coevolution Quarterly, which then becomes this major outlet uh, for the Gaia hypothesis, uh, where the audience would be was super eclectic and and not all just i mean Stuart brand's publications were were i mean i mean so i want to just demolish this phrase new age because what the okay. hell you know i mean come on what are we there's i mean to try to drop everything into that bag is just uh you know just uh clouds the issues so. right uh, but Lovelock, in fact, he, he, in 19, so, I mean, to edit this correspondence volume, I've been having to go back and, and dig up the references that they're talking about and reading, you know, like, so even in this later, like he's rebutting, it's like a letter he sends to the journal Nature. He wants to rebut a kind of, uh, a, a, Put down of the Gaia idea that uh, that uh, to which he took exception, uh, and he's just makes the comment that that and and so for, for in the scientific academy, kind of the 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 uh, the nemesis, the the nemeses of the Gaian uh, theorists, Lovelock and Margulis, were the neo Darwinians. All right, and mm-hmm. you just have to think. Uh, you know, Richard Dawkins and the selfish gene, mm-hmm. you know, in a nutshell, that's the neo-Darwinist position, genetic determinism and all that stuff. And, uh, but so he talked about the, um, and so these were the, the, the main scientific opposition to Gaia was among the biologists, not so much the geologists, not so much the people in Lovelock's own world, but but the neo-Darwinists just just could not 
conceptually imagined that life could somehow have some agency in its own preservation. No, mm-hmm. you know, it's just we're G, we're wrote, we're what that stupid phrase of Dawkins, uh, we're just lumbering robots driven by our genes to yeah. create more genes, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that and that came out right at the that came out in the later 70s. So Gaia, for many people looking kind of looking to science for a more progressive vision, you know, it was sort of, well, you can go with Gaia and actually open up something like a a, a holistic reexamination of the interrelation of life forms. Or or you can do this genetic reduction stuff with um, and. Uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, so, most of the readers of, uh, uh, of coevolution quarterly went with Gaia. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll get... I'm sorry, just, but yeah, yeah, please later Lovelock. Then he, in this, in this article that I'm came to mind, he just said, because of the schism, cybernetics and systems theory and, and whole systems thinking has been been pushed off into the new age, right? As, mm-hmm. In other words, that was the way to just trash that side of real science, which say, well, this is just, you know, this is what the hippies like. Yeah, it's some fanciful uh, hippie dream. So, uh, yeah. and, and that's Lovelock reflecting in 1990 uh, as being kind of caught up. Uh, but by then he's he's been deeply... Uh, uh, sort of celebrated and gathered in by the British Greens, and um, and the the sort you know whatever you want to call the I just call it the systems counterculture. Yes, which in is so a fabulous name. These people yeah. are interested in cybernetic ideas. Yeah, you know, and if they're interested in that, they're not woolly minded. Not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. They're not completely I mean, woolly minded. Yeah. I have an investment in in agreeing with you, but <laughs> so yeah, the the systems counterculture is obviously, and what an exciting group and an exciting time, and and the, and the section on the on that on that group, which of course is, you know, Maturana Varela, but it's also the Lindisfarne connection and the and, and Stuart Brand and the entire. I mean, it just made me want to jump on uh, one of the sites that you you know auction sites and try and find a complete collection of the. Uh, Coevolution Quarterly, because again, outside the mainstream of scientific peer-reviewed publication, you have these heavy hitters, not just Lovelock and Margulies, but these other heavy hitters uh, publishing in this counterculture publication. But before we end up back around to them again, um, so Gaia is not a planetary consciousness deciding to homeostat the planet, right? And it's more about the coupling, the mutual coupling of all of these systems. But is it is it am i am i reading this correctly in that one of the key one of the key elements is that it's not just a case of life adapting itself to the planet but that the biota is actually changing the planet and that there is these reciprocal feedback loops through which even the 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 geological formations of the earth the biota covering the earth beginning all the way down of course at the bacteria who are actually as you say a number of times in the book actually running the show uh, and then the atmosphere, and that together there are all of these feedback loops which have emerged to create an actual autopoietic entity. So uh, an entity that's bounded on two sides, uh, that is the shape of the globe, so to speak, 
um, that regulates itself, not through a single conscious purpose, but as a kind of emergent phenomena. Yeah. Is, that's, that, a, uh, is that a fair overview? That That's a, a perfectly good overview of my presentation in the book. Um, and so, yeah, you touched on a number of things there, but let me back it up. Sure. Uh, uh, just to Lovelock had the thing about Lovelock, he's uh, the word I use is mercurial, and 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 Margulis just says he's he's a uh, uh, what's the phrase she uses uh, mischievous. He's mm-hmm. mischievous, but and so he would never be consistent. And this sometimes got on Margulis's. Uh, stuck in her craw uh, mm-hmm. because he would he was just willing to say depending on the audience and what he thought uh, that demanded that that Gaia is is a uh, is a single organism Gaia is a, a, a and uh, and as an organism then uh, so that there's a singular and 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 that was kind of the problem that if you just call Gaia an organism even though it's a metaphor, it, the the metaphor there too much uh, is wrong about that metaphor, mm. um, and one of the main problems is then you get a kind of singularity vision, and that's just one step to like one mind, one world, one pe- you know one you know the the, the oneness of it all, and, and, the Gaia, and, and that's yeah. exactly the wrong direction to to get a feel for what you were just describing which is the multiplicity of gaia which is the the uh, in a ways that have that are the, no uh no way has you know i mean some of which has been fathomed but my sense is that there's you know the the unfolding of what we call feedback loops just to have a a, a reasonable category of thinking about the uh, the the system dynamics uh, of all these uh, imbricated, interrelated subsystems and leading to metasystems, and uh, of which, of course, Gaia is the final iteration. And I mean, so there, so there's this tension in the concept between the the operational multiplicity and then the sort of the idea that you know, that's also comes along with the system concept is that, uh, you know, in the, at, at the final iteration, you do get some, uh, 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 you, you get the closure <laughs> that is proper to the conception of an autopoietic system. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that system then is, you know, uh, uh, well, that's <laughs> that's the whole enchilada, uh, yeah. but but is still you know uh, vastly mysterious uh, uh, in uh, uh, yeah just in all the sub programs <laughs> right. That, so you pointed to this tension between the holistic view and the more systemic functional differentiation, and it seems like Margulis provided a lot of the important corrective to when Lovelock would in a sense be a little sloppy in that direction. Yeah. You know, it's it's really a complicated thing because uh, Margulis insisted on autopoiesis, although she uh, her her she was uh, extending the classical uh, uh, you know 
Matron and Varela version of Autopuis. So what happened, and then, but Lovelock, but one, one way in which he was, okay, but the thing about Margulis was she tended to think of Gaia as the sum of the biota. Okay, mm. which which you could still theorize kind of as, you know, as proper to an autopoietic description, uh, whereas uh, I think Lovelock was right that every now and then he'd say, well, Lynn, you have to we have to remember it's a coupled system. It's not just the biota at the planetary level turning into a, you know, a superorganism, but it's it's the it's the it's that some of the biota as coupled to the geology that has both its own dynamics, but yet has this reciprocal formative dynamic with the biota. Uh, and, and as you were bringing out earlier, so that's exactly right in that the classical story was just life was along for the ride on this, on this active rock that would just throw, you know, the next volcano at it and and life would adapt to the new conditions and and so that picture has been completely and that's just a completely superannuated you know old picture now uh uh because life life alters i mean just as a process that involves the the uptake of energy and material nutrients and then the the, the production of metabolic, you know, and then whatever that m- metabolism yields and, and then excretes back into the environment. <laughs> um, you, you run that process over 3.5 billion years and you get a completely, uh, 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 a world that has been processed through the coupling of life to its environment over all those eons. Mm-hmm. So Lovelock has a really beautiful uh, phrase for this. He says, we live in the breath and bones of our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the breath is the atmosphere, of course, but the bones are the rocks. So many of, uh, so, and then in the uh, uh, later Gaian theories that I uh, very much, uh, 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 I think are, are totally on the right track, uh, and th- uh, this is again mar- something Margulis pushed ahead with, uh, while Lovelock was doing other things. But that that water, the retention of water on the planet, uh, is in fact a Gaian uh, outcome, an outcome mm. of Gaian regulation. <coughs> um, excuse me. Um, and if that's the case, then you need if Gaia maintains and whereas a in other words, Venus and Mars both used to have water, but the water's all gone for for uh, uh, for different reasons. And all you've got is these super saturated CO two atmospheres uh, on these desiccated planets. But they did have water. Uh, but and just like we had water from that massive late bombardment that brought all the water down, according to the latest cosmological theories. But we've kept our water. Why? Well. So this, I mean, uh, the Gaian explanation is that the, you know, life (laughs) uh, uh, um, processes emerged out of this coupling of life to its environment that, uh, that, um, 
uh, there's this kind of threshold at the top of the boundary, right? If we mm-hmm. think of Gaia as two-sided, which I go into in uh, the later part of the book. I mean, so the top is this sort of diffuse part of the atmosphere. And that's where the water, I mean, water would just, you know, in the upper atmosphere would just be hit by solar energy and then just kind of deliquesce <laughs> out of the planet. Um, but um, but there are these processes that kind of freeze the water out and precipitate it back and so mm-hmm. forth. And because we've retained our water, we've got plate tectonics that, in fact, it's it's the 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 oceans that lubricate plate tectonics and allow that that tectonic activity, which which in itself was just uh, a theory that had been completely uh, or at least broadly rejected when it was yeah. first proposed, and then mm-hmm. and then the the evidence came in, and now and we realize now just exactly how these dynamics. So these are, of course, abiotic. I mean, in other words, the, the, the heat and the, you know, the, the churning over of the core of the planet up towards. So these are, and now that, but there's a lower boundary of Gaia that is also very porous and, and, uh, but that's been um, another side to recent science, discovery just how far down life is able to penetrate out of the crust into the mantle and then and then yeah. uh be bound up in these sort of deep hidden processes but but where do you uh, uh so uh margulis just uh uh made the statement that that Gaia's boundaries are blurred, but I wouldn't want to read that in 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 an entirely postmodern way. That mm-hmm. the point is there are boundaries, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to no boundaries, just a diffuse, you well, know. And what gas. what you pointed out, yeah, what you pointed out about the lower boundary, you know, sort of say the earthward or the planetward boundary, which was fascinating to me, is this thing you you talk about how. Um, it, because one of the uh, one of the many marvelous things that this book does is it not only you know gives us this insight into Gaia itself and then Gaian discourse and then the cultural forces at work Gaia as a cultural phenomenon etc but it also helps clarify and and go deeper into systemic you know just ideas and insights about cybernetics and systems so when you think about you know ba- where does one draw a boundary and even ideas of boundary critique and boundary placement the fact that m- science in a sense um, keeps extending where that lower boundary is. We think, okay, well, this is, we've reached the place where, where the interactions are not as strong now. That's the boundary. And then continue, more and more geological science keeps linking linking uh, further down uh, and that the interactions are even, are continue to be strong even further down um, in a sense of uh, what is the lower reach of, of, of the actual autopoietic system. So that was fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I just think it makes all the difference. This has been part of my uh, campaign to to insist that we need these systems theory parameters in a more broadly critical theoretical uh, uh, effort to you know to grapple with with the world that we confront. That that um, the sort of the rhetoric of boundary dissolution. Uh, mm-hmm is 
only takes you so far and is in many ways a rhetoric <laughs> and not an ontology. Right. Uh, so, but if you're committed to the system's description, then then you you put a stop to that. <laughs> you say, mm-hmm. uh, and then the problematic is given this boundedness that allows for the autonomous operation of of uh, whatever autopoietic formation you're you're uh, you know you're putting at the center of your attention. Nevertheless, it's not. It it it's not um, uh, uh, it's not an autistic phenomenon. Mm. In other words, the problematic is how do these uh, 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 how do these sort of internal autonomies gather together uh, in into a higher level ensembles? Yeah. The lumen, the lumen, uh, you know, fundamentals uh, system environment differentiation, I, I find is interesting here. And lumen doesn't play as prominent a role in this book as in your previous one, but it's definitely uh, present in that sense. And and these differentiated systems inside larger systems, and invi- the you know one system is inside an environment. What is that system's environment is right is a larger system in that. In that. Right. The yeah. I mean, I thought the the thing is, you know, that. Uh, uh, the in many ways, although Lovelock doesn't talk the autopoietic talk, he he conceptually his moves are congruent um, because he he's the one insisting we've got a coupled system here, um, and so it's actually Lumon's uh, transposition of autopoiesis out of the strictly biotic domain which allowed me to theorize what I call metabotic Gaia, Gaia here. But, uh, but the trickiness here is that the, <clears throat> the um, whereas in the Lumanian scheme, you've got the, the in, uh, structural coupling of the psychic and the social system, all right, which are operating in terms of uh, a, a virtual mode of, of distinction processing, right, mm-hmm. to, to create uh, formations within the medium of meaning that move back and forth between minds and, and communication. Okay. So that's, that's the Lumon scheme, but, uh, as trans, but then, so my, the, the theory that I develop, uh, and then just kind of put out there to see if anyone wants to grab is, is that from Margulis, you get the autopoiesis, uh, which you know, and so that's great, you know, uh, but her, uh, but it's from Lovelock then that you get the insistence on the differentiation between the biotic and the abiotic, okay, which mm-hmm. then Gaia is a coupled system, uh, the auto, the autopoiesis of which is driven from the biotic operation, uh, but which then binds itself to uh, to these structural formations, these material energetic structural formations that are uh, 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 bound up in these, uh, in, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, in this melange of system processes. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so that the 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 metabiotic here doesn't move into the virtual or or in other words, it doesn't move into meaning or spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not so I'm not saying metabiotic Gaia is the way it gets a mind, but rather no, it's the way that it gets the 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 um, complex closure at the planetary level that then operates uh, in terms of what the biota uh, uh, contribute. Okay, which is the uh, which is all the the uh, you know. the maintenance and the reproduction of life as the, you know, kind of, uh, uh, bottom line of living mm-hmm. processes. Right. Uh, what we haven't confronted yet, of course, is the technosphere. So <laughs> can you say a little bit about now how that's its yeah, role inside well, that's, that? So the technosphere and here, uh, here, uh, uh, I, I, Margulis has a very distinct way of working Gaia in relation to the technosphere and this kind of lost uh, paper published in the Whole Earth Review, which was the continuation of the Coevolution Quarterly, uh, uh, Gaia and the Evolution of Machines. Uh, But I think they just get it uh, co-written with Dorian Sagan, but I think they... So the basic choice, if you look at the large debate about the technosphere, what it kind of comes down to is, it is the technosphere autonomous in its own right? Or is it going to achieve a kind of cybernetic autonomy understood in sort of first order terms? That, that, the, that the technosphere... Uh, Will uh, will essentially and even Lovelock in 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 his most recent book um, sees the AIs coming along to take over for us, uh, in which at which point the Anthropocene will become the Novocene and and uh, but when he follows that idea out all the way, it's the end of Gaia uh, uh, because eventually the robots will figure out how to do it on their own <laughs> without, mm-hmm. without living, uh, w- uh, without having to sort of preserve the, the biotic environment out of which they emerge. So, uh, whereas, um, Margulis, and so to me, that's a very dim, uh, the grim, that's a grim vision as far as I'm concerned of futurity, uh, where, where Margulis made the point that if you look at evolution very deeply, you can't, you see this constant dynamic by which <clears throat> living systems, living organisms repurpose their, uh, 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 well, uh, in particular repurpose the, uh, the, uh, materials that they put back into the environment. Uh, so the example is calcium. So calcium is a poison within living tissue. So it gets excreted as part of the self-preservative dynamic of, of uh, you know, the microbial life uh, back in the time. But eventually you have all this ambient calcium in the environment. And, and then it's, 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 it's pulled back into the, the, the evolving system as the hard parts. 
So mm-hmm. that's where you get your bones and your teeth mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. shells, right? Is yep. this so? And so that's a kind of tech. So let's think of that as a uh, as a model of what technology is. It's it's this constant reincorporation and re uh, uh, reorganizing of the environment. So if we think of the technosphere just at that level as sort of the uh, 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 the uh, a, a uh, building up of structures right. uh, 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 given the affordances of the environment um, then you see the 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 machinic uh, phylum <laughs> right um, as and and that and and of course that's a metaphor I just want to leave as a metaphor right but but so and here again in fact Lumon's scheme is handy to me because I see I see if you want to uh, in my diagram of this where machines as non-autopoietic systems have their place is as mediating structures between minds uh, between consciousness and communication okay mm. between psychic and social systems that that's what and so the technosphere to me in its gaian conceptualization is this non-autopoietic uh uh extrusion out of your two autopoietic registers of biotic life in the first place, and then the 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 virtual autopoietic processes of minds and societies. So mm-hmm. what you get there is a uh, you you get a, a a diversity of system types that cluster into this, uh, and so Gaia now comprehends bodies, minds, communication dynamics technological emergence um but in terms of a uh of of a kind of of a a planetary boundary okay Mm -hmm. which is which is fundamentally gaian okay and not uh in other words that 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 as near as i can see is going to have to remain the ground of possibility of technological uh, uh, emergence, right? Uh, and 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 fantasies to the contrary uh, are just that. Mm. Uh, uh, that uh, and so and now you get people like like my friend David Grinspoon, uh, cosmological thinkers, uh, you know, interested in biosignatures and. And, you know, uh, this is the astrobiological thing that I was doing at the end of writing this book. But but the, one of the great questions in this field is where are all the intelligent worlds, right? The great mm-hmm. silence. What, you know, the, the universe should be teeming with, with uh, you know, technological civilizations. And if so, we should be able to detect them. So how, how come we can't? Just last night, we're watching Starman with mm-hmm. Bridges and Karen Allen. Classic. It's, it's really a great movie. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but it, it it picks up on that, you know, we, we sent this probe out and it hit some intelligent world and they sent 
the star man down to kind of to leave his seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, um, so but, well, I just want to just the point on this yeah. idea is that uh, what if the most profound uh, 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 sort of endpoint of evolution uh, is not a technosphere that then detaches itself from its ground of origin in a biotic world, but rather one that merges its technosphere with its Gaian foundation in this sort of superstructure mm. or, or, or further unfolding of those systemic possibilities, but to the point at which it lacks any sort of, uh, in other words, the technology goes underground. <laughs> and is that, so are we at, are we at the level of a planetary are we at the level of a planetary cyborg at that point <laughs> it well i suppose we could be if you've got your organ place yeah i mean that's you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it can't just be a cyb cyb right. uh, it has to be a cyborg exactly so <laughs> yeah it just was reminding me of sort of the donna haraway stuff that comes Sort of at the beginning of the book. Um, yeah, you know, she was picking up. I mean, she was using her cyborg idea to think about Lovelock's articulation of Gaia, and and, and makes you know, at, at you know, there there's definitely something to be said for that there, way of looking at it. Yeah, one of the critical things about the technosphere, though, it seems to be, is that and the problems that it. Uh, clearly presents for us if it's not handled well is that um Gaia re- relies on on loops of recycling and if our technology only burns stuff but does not return something to the cycle that can be reused then uh there's a problem and Gaia is not trying to maintain humans it's maintaining life and uh it will go on without us right i mean so the 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 um the bacteria will run the show regardless um and will and as you say the set point can change right the set point doesn't have to be one that can sustain human autopoiesis necessarily but there's something there's some great stuff in the later and the later chapters where you talk about uh some other guy in inquiries and this idea of the human sort of mastery of combustion and um, but there's something about about not participating. If our technology cannot participate right. in the in the in the recycling cycle, then it cannot become sort of a, a, a functioning part of Gaia in that sort of way. In that way that's that will right. sustain so our that, life. Yeah, that that's how I express it. I mean, that's how I see it. Really, that 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 what Gaia has had the time to uh to bring forth is a uh and the microbes accomplished this billions of years ago but Mm -hmm. uh, and then it just became part of the foundation of the emergence of of the later life forms was a was a recycling regime where where no organism can subsist on its own waste, but it can subsist very well on another organism's waste mm-hmm. that's sufficiently different from it that its waste becomes nutrients for it. Okay, mm-hmm. and so so the biosphere is uh, 
is self-recycling, you know, and that would be another way to think about its autopoiesis or, or uh, 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 the biosphere here we, as, as, a, as a synonym for Gaia, right? And not just strictly the biosphere, uh, but, but the biosphere understood as, as uh, structurally coupled all the way down to yeah. its theology. And, and, uh, and so that, that if the technosphere could, uh, could repair its own metabolic rifts, so that's mm. a phrase I got out of Mackenzie Wark uh, talking about uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, the, but the rift is that when we break up the pieces of natural affordances like, like uh, fossil fuels, um, which are a perfectly Gaian phenomenon as long as they're there in the ground, you know, <laughs> it's part of the geology that, that is left in the wake of life. Um, uh, they would be, they would be sort of planetarily recycled in their time, but now, but now we're just kind of pulling them out and, 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 and sort of, uh, and, and yeah, just pumping them out as waste, yeah. uh, uh, into, into, uh, atmospheric sinks and oceanic sinks that, that are, are saturated and can't take it anymore. So, so my, you know, my thought has always been, uh, well, if these AIs are so smart, but really they don't have any goals, uh, let, let's have them, uh, let's just put them on the job of recycling the technosphere that it, so that it, it uh, arrives at its own guy enclosure. Mm. And then we're good to go mm-hmm. uh, uh, as a planetary civilization. Mm. Yeah. Uh, at least more likely to um to uh maintain the viability of mm. our of our home uh which is yeah. got to be what we have to strive for yeah and there's other fascinating stuff about the, the you know the other option of course is that we leave right and gaia this is the cradle of gaia but we don't stay in our cradle forever right is the phrase that comes up from the russian uh Cosmos, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but Tsiolkovsky. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so, um, but the the um, both in science, you you you. I mean, again, as a as a professor of literature, you we you do bring in some science fiction, which is we get some neuromancer, and we get as some again of Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Aurora. Um, but you, the the ideas about leaving the planet that if you can't take Gaia with you, there's a problem, right? Yeah. It's it's and that these enclosures that were imagined by NASA and other people, um, there isn't the sufficient mass uh, and the sufficient amount of time that you can't that a mini Gaia is is very difficult to pull off, right? It's it's yeah, I, I mean it's an unsolved problem. Yeah. So the way Margulis saw it was was kind of. Uh, she was happy to think of uh, uh, sending life off uh, from this planet, but that but that was a challenge for our ability to uh, to understand how to recreate a Gaian uh, milieu that could effectively recycle itself. So the the uh, but but then she thought of life. Uh, she her sense of life was kind of driven by a vision of biotic potential, which is just that life 
left to itself, life will just burst <laughs> mm. and and proliferate. And then it always hits a limit, uh, whether it's just an ecological limit of a nutrient that it needs is unavailable or, uh, but she thought uh, there's no reason why our life couldn't burst out of uh, uh, of our home uh, and, and and go off and uh, but it would have to have solved this problem first mm-hmm. and a problem that generally speaking was always like when O'Neill came up with his space colony ideas that was happening right around the time that Gaia was coming out. So it's, it's there in the same pages of coevolution quarterly. So it's, there's a kind of automatic coupling of the topic, but, uh, uh, so Margulis was happy to think that, that this is a way of promoting Gaian science in the NASA milieu because really you can't fudge this thing when push comes to shove. Mm -hmm. And so Aurora, this wonderful uh, recent novel by Kim Stanley Robinson, imagines a massive space vehicle that's trying to ferry life uh, 10 light years away to a very, you know, relatively close planet. Um, And it's got this sort of ecologically diverse uh, closed world, right? Of, of with all these different microbiomes, so it's really like a biosphere two uh, sent off uh, to another star. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, but eventually the ecology just starts to um, go bad mm-hmm. uh, after about a hundred fifty years, uh, and and uh, and and and. Because that final problem of of remediating metabolic rifts hasn't really been solved. And so try what they may to tweak their, their, uh, uh, you know, their artificial environment that they're inside in the ship that's like 10 kilometers long uh, is uh, uh, hitting all these problems where... Uh, uh, like just salt, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Salt is is collecting... a lot of salt. Everybody, <laughs> <laughs> too much salt. You know, how do we? Uh, you know, just something as simple as that. But again, you know, like like yeah. fresh water or ocean water. Some some you got your halophiles and your halophobes, and uh, yeah. human beings are can only take so much. I haven't had a chance to read that novel yet, but it sounds like, I mean, Rob Robinson's obviously fantastic. And I think that sounds like an absolutely marvelous piece of, of quote unquote, hard sci-fi in terms of really taking those guy and issues, taking them on. Um, it yeah. Sounds, it yeah. Sounds and perfect. I actually, I had a chance to, I, I met him uh, when I went out to uh, UC Davis to give a talk uh, and had a chance to, uh, have a conversation with him and, and then follow up with some emails, but which I asked if I, if I make the statement that, you know, that your, your sort of the message of this failure that you depict in the novel mm-hmm. to, to master the, the, the 
ecological issues is, is a, a guy in observation and he, mm-hmm. he assured me that he would not be unhappy with right that. and he was looking at the o'neill diagrams that are reproduced in your book yeah he well did. that was william gibson a neuromancer in oh so no went oh in terms of um yeah yeah where um I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the environments now but yeah where yeah the, the uh, um, uh, well, the different habitats that habitats, yeah. Gibson has a new romance. So there's Freeside. Freeside, that's the name the that was escaping me. Place, yeah. And then there's Zion, which is where the Rastafari yeah. uh, uh, builders uh, who don't uh, want to go back down the gravity hole. Uh, and it has more biological diversity, it seems. Right. And I mean, it just, and- what you can see that Gibson has been... Uh, I, I'm just assuming he was reading the Coevolution Quarterly airing of these issues, mm-hmm. although he could have found it in other sources. But yeah. that that was the popular venue where uh, these issues were debated. Yeah. Uh, and Margulis <coughs> saw to it that uh, paper that she co-wrote with a bunch of ecological colleagues. Um, I think they were centered at the Woods Hole um, uh, lab there in Massachusetts. It's called Ecological Considerations for Space Colonies. And it was mm-hmm. exactly what O'Neill as an engineer uh, uh, of uh, the, the architecture of these uh, orb, orbital environments was just kind of pushing off to the side as well, you know, it, how hard can it be once we've actually created these massive orbital hab- habitats to mm. stick some trees in and right. <laughs> and it's a little more complicated than that. Ferns, you know, and, and get, get our, <laughs> get our recycling atmosphere going. Yeah. Wow. So we've taken up a lot of your time. You've been most generous with your time. And again, as usual, we I won't say we've scratched the surface. I think that's the wrong metaphor. We've been able to take a look at one layer because we actually spent most of our time really talking about Gaia itself and less about the incredible social um, systems that produced it. Uh, there's the wonderful stuff about the systems counterculture, which I'm glad we got a chance to touch on briefly, but all of the characters and, you know, and Lindisfarne. Um, I got to say, I mean, I was aware of William Irwin Thompson. I more, I was more aware of Evan Thompson, his son's writings, because of his connection right. with Varela. The quotations from Thompson are breathtaking. I mean, this not only the insight, but the 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 the, the wordsmithing. Um, I realized that Thompson, not a name that comes up at cybernetics conferences, or, you know, but man, we are all missing something by not reading more William Irwin Thompson. Just extraordinary. Yeah, well, that's a whole different um, uh, set of issues there. But but uh, that was a gift from Lynn Margulis because uh, just very soon after we made connection and then I spent a couple of weeks at her lab and, and then we really got to know each other. And then year after that was 2007 and and she said, I'm going to be in Santa Fe at a, they're, they're, uh, they're reviving the Lindisfarne Fellows meetings after like a 10 year hiatus. Mm-hmm. And since I just live five hours away from Santa Fe in West Texas, I said, well, can you have, can you bring a guest? And, and she said, sure. 
so I got um, I got to see Lindisfarne in action before it. Uh, I think pretty finished up, and then Bill Thompson just died last year. Yeah, uh, and so, but yeah, just just um, his stuff is out there, but it's for various reasons. It's it it never hit the mainstream and and it's uh you have to kind of go looking for it well Uh, you've you've inspired me to hunt it down because i was just salivating for more of it after what you've you know the things you've been able to serve up in the book and the way you frame them so again just another one of the amazing things and you know i love that you're still pulling new things out of neuromancer because everyone talks about cyberspace with neuromancer and for you to take a guy in gloss on neuromancer again uh, another sort of fascinating way to encounter an old text um well again i mean i wish we had another three hours um because uh, again we we've, we've talked about gaia and then there's all the other social formations around gaia and then there's the further Gaian inquiries around planetary immunology and so folks you just have to read the book it's just that simple um, and we already, you already gave us a taste of what you're working on next, which is this, uh, book of letters, which we're super excited to, 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 uh, follow up on. And of course, another excuse to have you on the podcast that I will not let you, uh, escape. So once again, thank you so much, Bruce, for being here and, and sharing, uh, your vast knowledge and your insight with us. And, uh, I can't wait for the next book and our next conversation. Well, I really enjoyed this. And I, 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 super appreciate your opening i mean it's we need as you see need a chance to stretch out to to Mm -hmm. open up this uh all the all the goodies yeah Uh, so i think you know we hit multiple layers so i I was really happy with that but but in any event tom next time you call uh i'll uh be ready to do it again excellent okay thanks bruce we'll see you soon Okay, bye-bye.